We are almost finished with our um, series that we've been doing in a rather disjointed way over the last few months about church life. And we're talking about attitudes, and there's one more talk which John Marshall's going to do in a couple of weeks' time as well. And next week, uh, we're going to do more on the vision talk that we shared in September. But this is the penultimate talk on church life. We just felt God has constrained us to to go after some of these themes, and we're talking about uh, our attitudes towards one another. And I want to talk to you about good relationships, uh, because good relationships are so important in in the church, in any community of people, actually. And churches are all about relationships, and Jubilee is no exception to that. It's all about relationships. And relationships are, are really important to us, and that means we've got to take time to invest in them and do all that we can to maintain and protect them. And how we treat one another uh, affects the atmosphere of our church. It shapes how we get things done and ultimately defines our culture, whether we mean for it to or not. And so we want to have a healthy culture as a church. So that our church becomes, and I really thought about writing this, but this is how I really feel about it. I want us to be exceptional. And I want us to be a place where people thrive, where people grow, and where people reproduce. I want us to be a community that's exceptional, where people thrive, where people grow, and we reproduce. Can I have an amen to that? Thank you. And if we're going to be a church then that's built on good relationships, we're going to need to navigate, to learn how to navigate conflict from time to time and fully understand the importance of cultivating and sustaining a robust church culture. Say robust church culture with me. I'm feeling very Pentecostal today for some reason. Um, But that's why we keep going on about this kind of thing. You know, we keep talking about culture, we keep talking about relationships, it it comes through a lot of what we do, and it's not just about making church a nice place to be for us. You know, good relationships attract the presence of God. You know, uh, the psalmist says, God commands blessing. (laughs) There's the guarantee of blessing. Where there's unity. It's great blessing that he's with us as well. I mean, who wouldn't want that? And, and the psalmist goes, well, it's like precious oil. It, it kind of pours down over the head and it runs down over the priestly beard. And we're all priests. We don't have beards. But the holy oil is on us. That's what his presence, the tangible sense of his presence that we so often experience as we gather together. And God is command, he's commanded. Imagine that. No, it's not quite that, but it is almost that. Blessing is commanded when that's that that sense of unity amongst us. So I just want to share with you uh, an amazing uh, passage of scripture from Romans chapter 12. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 13. And in this passage is an amazing description of the ideal church culture. And Paul writes this just after he's talked all about spiritual gifts and just before he talks about how Christians should appear in society. And this is what he says. He says, 
Don't just pretend to love people. Really love them. Hate what's wrong. Hold on tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honouring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them and always be eager to practice. I like that. Practice it. Hospitality. Always be eager to practice that. I mean, imagine a church where everyone thought like this. Imagine a church where everybody did this. Where people came into a community like this. What would be the impact on the unbeliever coming into a community that was like this? I mean, wouldn't you want to be part of such a group? The culture of the church as Paul saw it and presumably as God intended it. A place where there's genuine affection. A place where there's mutual honouring of one another. And where the kind of love that's cultivated amongst us is sincere. Don't just pretend to love people. See, insincere love is conditional. It's, I'll love you if you don't hurt me. I'll love you if you do what I want you to do. I'll love you if I like you. I used to have a friend, uh, he was an older man in our congregation in Exeter called Don. I loved going to visit him. He was a... He was a test driver for very fast cars. And so I used to love going around and hearing all his stories about the near-death experiences that he experienced testing high-speed car chasing and that sort of thing. But one of the things he used to say is, um, he said, yeah, you know, people in the church, he said. He was an engineer, very blunt. And he would say, you know, I kind of love them with the love of the Lord. I just don't like them very much. And he thought that that was okay. And as I was quite young, I thought, yeah, that's quite a cool idea, actually. Yeah, I kind of love you with the love of the Lord because I have to, but I don't like you very much. See, we don't need any more pretense in our relationships together, do we? We need the kind of love that Peter talks about where he says it covers a multitude of failings. Any failings in you (laughs) or in your relationships We need love to cover all of that. Yeah, I know, sometimes I'm going to mess up, you're going to mess up, but I love you. So what prevents this from happening? What prevents this kind of culture being built amongst us and from having good relationships in the church? Well, I can identify two main challenges to this. The first one is offence, and the second one is about culture. So I'll talk to you about the challenge of offence, first of all. I mean, offence is the opposite of holding tightly onto what is good. It's the opposite of that. Um, Paul has just talked about this, and, and, and instead of holding on tightly to what is good, 
what we hold on to, actually, is a multitude of small offences that build up over time. Anybody? Uh, we hold on to stuff, you know? We, we build a case against somebody. We find evidence for more and more that confirms our original offensive thought about the person. And then we build a case, and then we start avoiding them. We stop going where they are. We even stop coming to church, and we find somewhere else to shop. That's, that's how bad it can get. Offence builds up. And actually, one of the ways that you know that something isn't right towards somebody is if you start avoiding them. It starts with, I'm just going to walk this way around the room. Isn't it great we've got all these different kind of alleys to get to the back? I'll go that way. I'll just avoid them. That's how you know there's something not quite right and you need to pay attention to that feeling. Offence undermines love. It cripples our commitment to one another. We start backing off and withholding ourselves, forming instead a protective bubble around us. Don't come near me. Smile at everybody, but don't come too close. Even in the church. Even in the church. You know, some somehow we can accept it if this happens at work, can't we? Well, this is kind of people, that's what it's like. We can accept that, we can accept it perhaps in school, uh, even expect it in even, but it can be very hard to accept when it comes to other Christians because somehow we think, you ought to know better. But it's a sad fact that people will hurt people in church just as they do everywhere else. If you've been in church any length of time, own up. Yeah, it's true, isn't it? And I don't know why this shocks us so much when it happens, but somehow it's even more painful, more painful when, it's hurt, when we're hurt by the church, isn't it? I mean, you kind of expect it out there, but when we're hurt in church, it's even more painful. I know, because I've been hurt in church. <laughs> you know, I've been hurt by other leaders, I've been hurt by those that I lead. Um, it hurts. Especially when you've been vulnerable, when you've opened yourself up, where you've shared your life with people, sometimes over many years, and it really, really hurts, like nothing else. And do you know, I think Jesus knew something about this. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends. Have you thought about that? Judas, the man he picked. He poured his life into him, he lived with him, he ate with him, he slept beside him, no doubt, on the road, and Judas had been loved by him, and Judas had been intimate with Jesus. But then it takes somebody very close to betray another with a kiss. And there's no doubt about it, these can be really disillusioning things and can affect not only our lives with one another, but with God too. You know, there's, there's so many people around who've been hurt by the church, get mad at God and then reject both. Or people say, yeah, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church very much. Which is kind of a contradiction because the church is the body of Christ. I know some of these people, and I'm sure you do too. And there's no doubt about it that churches can be very hard places at times. There are no perfect churches... All perfect leaders, sorry if that shocks you. 
So I'll often say to people when they're thinking about joining the church, I can only guarantee you two things in coming here. One, I'll mess up at some point and I'll probably upset you and let you down at some point if you have this speech. And second, that if and when this happens, because it probably will, knowing me, I'll do my best to sort things out and say sorry and put things right. But I am going to mess up at some point. Because actually I'm human. And I don't really hold back what I feel about things either, so... Do you still want to come to this church? (laughs) Deal. (laughs) And and so we've got to talk about these kind of things. This isn't a no-go area for us. We need to talk about this kind of thing. Because churches are all about relationships, and if we're going to learn how to love one another sincerely, we're going to need to learn to clear up our misunderstandings and messes and do all that we can to protect and maintain good relationships. So that's the first thing, that we can undermine good relationships in the church by allowing offence to grow in our hearts and between one another. And the second one is about culture. The second challenge is about the culture of the organisation. It's about the way that we build church together because culture determines the way that we get things done and how people are treated. Culture makes the atmosphere of the church and can often be heard in phrases, this is how we do things around here. And if you've been around Jubilee for any length of time, you'll know how important our culture is to us. We've spent many years developing it and defining it, maintaining it, and we've even put the words on the screen Somewhere, yeah, there. And one of these words is especially important to us when it comes to good relationships, and that's the word honour. Which is also one of the words Paul uses in the passage I read earlier in in Romans, to love one another with genuine uh, infection. Oh, that's good. (laughs) With genuine affection and take delight in honouring each other. Take delight in honouring each other. We need to take delight in it. Uh, And and we've defined honour as receiving and releasing people according to how God sees them. We need to take delight in that. Receiving people and treating people in the way that God sees them. That's what we're going after. And that means that we've got to call out the good in one another. And sometimes we do this prophetically. One of the things I love doing is just pausing and saying, okay, I'm just going to speak over some people and tell them what I appreciate about them. Honour them, call out the good in them that we see in one another. And so we often do this publicly and just describe how people are gifts to us. It's absolutely amazing. There's a couple who visited us last week and they last came to our church eight years ago They don't live in the area, it's okay. So they came back to visit and they're actually moving back into the area. And they wanted wanted me to know that I prophesied over them when they visited last time. He said, quite a long prophecy and it was recorded. And everything that you said has happened. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for obeying God. I said, wow, what did I say? Because I have no clue. I couldn't even remember them. Certainly didn't remember their names. Um, 
But something of that moment called out a whole destiny for the last eight years over them. Isn't that amazing? Well, that's what we're about. We want to call out the good in one another, say what we see in one another, and call people to higher things and release the spirit of Caleb that says no. So we're just saying. Doesn't say it, won't hear no. So I love doing this, and, and, but mostly this is a, about how we choose to relate to one another. That's what it means to have honour. It's contrary to so much of what we see in secular culture, isn't it? Which seems so determined to pull people down, take delight in pointing out the worst things in people. Our media's full of that kind of negativity, uh, especially those who have been successful. Have you noticed... They're the ones that media seems to take the greatest delight and say, yeah, but look at all their problems. Seem to be successful, but look what's really going on. What is that in our culture that loves to do that? Well, it kind of makes us feel better. We can't have that in the church. It happens in families, in schools, in workplaces too, where people talk about one another behind their backs and they delight in other people's inadequacies. The church isn't meant to be like that. We're meant to be different. We're meant to be counter-cultural in how we do things. Is that what you signed up for? Being counter-cultural in how we treat one another. See, Paul says he wants us to take delight in honouring one another. That means that we choose to respond with honour no matter how others act towards us or how dishonourably we may be treated and that's challenging. I'm not saying that it's easy or that we or I will always do this perfectly. I've certainly been tested on that over the years and challenged by it too. I remember somebody saying, that wasn't very honouring the way you spoke to me. It absolutely floored me. I thought, oh my goodness, you got me. We're not always going to get it right, but we need that basis of how we communicate with one another so that we can address it and maintain that culture of honouring one another, taking delight over that. That's what we, we are looking to cultivate and maintain in the church here. Culture helps us to check our behaviour and guides us in how we resolve things with others because it makes us stop and think and say, hmm, was I honouring in how I spoke about that person even though they weren't there? Was I being honouring or was I actually dishonouring them in some way? So those are the challenges, those two areas. It's about allowing things to build up, offences, and it's about our culture. So how are we going to resolve things with one another when we need to? Because we will do. Um, the first thing, when things go wrong or when we're wrong, what do we do? As I've already said, these things will happen sometimes. Mistakes are made, mis misunderstandings occur, people get hurt or upset. How are we going to deal with it? How are we going to resolve things? Well, it might take, it, this might surprise you a little bit where I'm going to start, but it's, it starts with you. It starts with each of us firstly taking responsibility to deal with our own mess. 
Yeah, but they're the ones that upset me. Well, start with you first. Just take a check, check an inventory. I say this because often when we get hurt or offended by others, it's not always clear in the moment why we respond in the way that we do. So before we vent, we need to just ask ourselves some questions like, why did I react like that? That was a bit of an overreaction. Have you ever thought that? What was going on there? Because sometimes it's simply that we're being too sensitive, you know? We, we live in a culture where people are too easily offended, I think, in my opinion. And when this happens, quite frankly, just you need to suck it up, you know? Move on. Be the bigger person. I'm serious. Sometimes you just need to suck it up and get over it. Somebody once had a massive problem with me and it went on for weeks. And I couldn't get, what have I done? You know, what is going on here? And it was, I didn't, you didn't look at me when I looked at you, when, I walk, when you walked through the church. You didn't acknowledge me. Seriously? Well, which side were you on? I don't see very well out of that side. Were you on that side? Yeah, I was. Well, I probably didn't even see you. For goodness grow up. <laughs> on other occasions, our reaction relates... <laughs> I enjoyed saying that. I've really got a lot of... <laughs> on other occasions, our reaction relates to a similar situation or even a similar personality that hurt us before. And, and so we overreact because actually we've never dealt properly with the historical pain that we've been carrying. Maybe you've moved on and you're in a different place now. But blow me, you meet the same kind of person. You know, do you ever do that? You categorise them, oh, they're that kind of person. And then you kind of wait for it. <laughs> I'm getting a lot of nods here, so this is good. <laughs> and this is because we're all works in progress, you know? We're all working through stuff, and so we need to start by dealing with our own hearts first before we try to put the blame onto someone else, especially if the pain we're feeling is not equal to the offence. Okay? Let me say that again, because I think that's a really good line, Rob. We need to deal with our own hearts first before we try and put the blame onto someone else, especially if the pain we're feeling is not equal to the offence. We've overreacted. Jesus said, why look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? Pay no attention to the plank in your own head. Got any planks? I mean, this is about taking responsibility for our own hearts in relationships and the pain from past hurts and offences we've not dealt with yet. Processing the pain and letting go of some stuff so we can get some healing for ourselves. Guys, listen, I know what I'm talking about here. I'm not making it up. You know, when I first started working, I could give you so many illustrations, I've wondered which ones to tell you, but... You know, when I first started working, so this is a long time ago, so I feel safer here. When I first started working with my friend Jonathan Bell at Church Central, I had a few of those moments with him, you know? You know and this is because I was overreacting all the time because the previous leaders I'd worked with had been heavy-handed with me. 
You know, it had been an authoritarian style of leadership, which isn't really Jonathan's style. He's actually quite a gentle, sort of meek guy. He's firm, but he's kind, you know? But those previous experiences gave me a problem which made me afraid to be myself because I might make mistakes and be punished for it. And I needed a bit of coaxing to come out of my shell and just be me. Yeah, it's true. That's me. And, and it made me very resistant, actually, to being led. I found myself shutting down around leaders and feeling awkward. And that's because I had this massive big plank going out of my head. Stuff I hadn't resolved, stuff I hadn't dealt with. And it took me a long time to trust and lots of awkward conversations, which became easier when I realised what was going on. I was transferring my pain from the past onto someone else instead of dealing with it myself. And it took me a long time to work it out. And sometimes I still need to work that out. I began to develop, this is one of the ways I got through that, but I began to develop some safety questions. Look, I know I might be sounding a little paranoid here, but... Or, did you really mean what I thought you said then? Or, can you help me hear that differently? Because I heard it like this. Or I may have got this wrong, here's one, but did I read your expression right? <laughs> oh my goodness, anybody? Please, <laughs> make me not feel on my own right now. <laughs> you see, we need to deal with our own mess before we confront it in others. And then we're safe to speak to our friend about the offence or the misunderstanding. I hope you understand I'm not trying to gaslight you here by saying, hold on, it's your problem, not mine. All I'm saying is we're human beings, works in progress, and sometimes we just need to stop for a moment and say, hold on, what's going on in that reaction? And deal with that first so that we can deal with things in a better way with other people. So, we need to then take steps in restoring good relationship. And uh, I'm going to go through this quite quickly. But, um, you see, Jesus anticipated that problems might sometimes occur amongst us. And he gave us a three-step process to follow. And we encourage people at Jubilee to adopt these steps if we encounter, others, uh, encounter problems with others in the church. And it's from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17, which I'll just read to you and then uh, go through it. So if another believer sins against you, it's kind of anticipating that they might, go privately and point out the offence. If the other person listens, listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three Witnesses, And if the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church, then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. 
So what does this mean for us? Well, firstly, this step to go and tell the other person privately so that you can sort things out. You know, that's to be the motivation. I just want to sort things out. I realise something got in between us there. Maybe just me. But I want to sort this out with you. It's not to go on, on the attack and attack them. It's actually because I want to sort some things out and tell them that what they said or the way they said it has, has hurt you in some way. So don't go and tell everybody else and gossip about it. Don't malign their character. By all means, speak to a trusted friend who can hold you to account or advise you about it. But don't make more mess in the church that others then have to clear up. Go and tell the person. Go and tell them, but be careful how you do it, because you may have got the wrong end of the stick. Uh, so we need to be humble when we approach one another and, and honour means that you're expecting the best out of them so and there are very few people who deliberately go out to hurt other people and most will be horrified that they've hurt you or that there's been a misunderstanding but if the response isn't good and there's no acknowledgement then Jesus has taken step two go and tell them again with a witness so that, what that's saying is don't give up on them just because you've not been able to finish the conversation, take somebody else with you. And, and so go and explain it to a trusted friend what has happened and listen to what they say. They might say, no, you're in the wrong. Have you thought about that? <laughs> you go to your trusted friend and say, actually, you're in the wrong there. You should have grow up and put on your big shoes and move on. Or what they've said is, that's fine. Um, well, they might say, no, that you're wrong, but otherwise, take them with you to speak to the person and hurt you. Not to gang up on them, but as a witness. And we've done this, we've had to do this on occasion in the past. And sometimes it's just helpful to have somebody else in the room who isn't emotionally involved as well. And they can say, actually, yeah, I can see your point, but I can also see your point. I can't see that point in the middle. I think we need to do something about that. There's, we need to bring some kind of reconciliation. Um, and again, the motivation isn't ganging up on somebody. It's actually how are we going to resolve this. And then the third step is very scary. It's tell it to the church. And it's a very serious step which would involve leadership or even church discipline. But in all my years of church, I can't think of one instance where I've actually seen things get that far. I've never had to do it. But this is how serious Jesus views sin in the church and how, how much he values unity of the body and the guarding of relationships. So take it as a, a warning to us. In the end, it becomes public, you see. Disagreement, discord becomes public. It affects the whole community. And that's why we need to guard one another in relationship. So Matthew 18 is how we resolve most difficulties that we encounter with one another. But supposing that's not possible. You know, perhaps the person isn't directly connected to you or you've parted company or the relationship has completely broken down. Sadly, this does happen. And when it does, there's no guarantee that the relationship will ever be restored. And that's really hard to accept, actually. But it doesn't mean you can't forgive anyway and resolve the offence in your own heart. Don't let it stick to you. 
Don't let it form hooks in your heart that cause you problems in other places. Don't hold on to it, otherwise you're going to have to deal with the unforgiveness and all the pain that goes with it at some other point in some future relationship. And often forgiveness takes place. Somebody once said, forgiveness is like the layers of an onion. There are multiple layers and every layer makes you cry. (laughs) It's true. And sometimes forgiveness takes time. And that's okay, but that needs to be our attitude, a decision to keep forgiving. So are there some people that you need to forgive? I have to ask that question. Are there some things that you, yeah, it's time to let go of that now. It's holding you back. You need to let go. Um, So I just want to encourage you to make some time. I'm not going to call you to the front and say, come on, (laughs) let's have a public show. Um, But I want to encourage you to have a time of self-reflection before you put the blame on someone else. If you're still holding something from years, it's time to let go. Um, I just felt like I wanted to say that today. Now, Paul, just to finish with this, just to conclude, Paul had to write to the church of Corinth on one occasion about various disputes that had broken out and relationships that had broken down as a result. And this is interesting. His motivation for resolution was two things, the fear of the Lord and a very high view of the church. He says in in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God? and that the Spirit of God lives in you, and that God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Now, that is scary. Um, He says you, you need to look beyond the petty disputes and see a much bigger picture. He warns them not to take one another for granted. He wants them to understand the reality of what they're doing, and then rather darkly, he says, if you mess with the church, you mess with God himself. And this is a very serious warning. You know, when I hear of difficulties in churches, how people to con- conduct themselves in those difficulties, I genuinely fear for them. And I've wanted to get hold of some people and shake them and say, don't you know what you're playing with? Don't you fear God? Uh, this has been a, and this has been a key motivation for me over the years to keep good relationships within the church. And good relationships are not perfect relationships, but loving relationships where forgiveness is readily exercised. That verse again, 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, love one another deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And so I just want to finish with encouraging you to do that. Love one another deeply. Shall we love one another deeply? And keep short accounts with one another. Don't let offence rob you of good relationships with other people. Let's do all that we can to resolve things well. Let's delight in honouring one another. Um, I mean, perhaps you have been offended... Well, I want to encourage you, just start with some self-reflection. Start there. Don't think, right, I'm going to go and tell them. Start with some self-reflection. <laughs> what stops you from exercising forgiveness? That's part of the self-reflection. What is it that needs to be resolved for you to show love to that person again? Because if you go to them without having done that journey... It's just going to end in broken relationship.
So what I wanted to do um, in closing is to break bread together as a celebration of our unity. It's a love feast. That's how Paul describes it. So I want us to just finish with loving one another, uh, breaking bread together. And if you do need to sort something out with somebody, just do it. Let it go in your own heart. If they're not here, then decide before God, now it's time to let go. Or if you need to just hug somebody and say, I really love you, that's enough. I don't want to make a big, heavy thing. I just feel like, I mean, communion is, is, is because we want to be united together. And Paul says, I want you to break bread together. If you need to resolve anything, that's a good time to sort it out. Um, also, I just want to encourage you to take a moment in this time. Simon's going to lead us into this in a moment. Uh, but I also want to encourage you to take a moment to honour one another. Take great delight in saying what you love and appreciate about one another. And yeah, get over feeling embarrassed about it, right? Just tell them. And uh, imagine you're me. And uh, give them a big hug and all the rest. Um, but speak good things over one another, bless people, and tell them how much you love and appreciate them. Well, shall I just pray and then I'm going to hand over to Simon? Is that okay? So, Father, thank you for our church. Thank you for this community. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for the blessing of your presence. Father, will you just come upon us? Even now, in this moment, as we break bread together, as we look to honour one another and be affectionate with one another, we just pray that your presence would be manifested in a wonderful way. And Lord, we just pray your protection over us as a community through the years to come with changes, with, with things that we go for. Father, let, never let us be held back because we can't resolve things with one another. We just pray that your name would be glorified through us and that we would be completely countercultural, an example of what heaven is like on earth. In Jesus' name, amen.